0: Well, g'day and welcome to the CX Hustle podcast. My name is Justin Tippett and welcome to 2020 for all you people that are listening in. Uh, Looking forward to another big year in all things contact centers and customer experience. Now, like most of my shows last year, I just happened to interview someone who I really admire a lot, uh, and that's Daniel Ord, who's coming to us from Germany today. G'day, Daniel.
1: Hello, Justin.
0: Welcome to 2020.
1: Yeah, it's here, and we're well on our way to some exciting things. I think.
0: Oh, we certainly are. It's um obviously been a pretty big uh, summer down here in Australia. We had the um you know the devastating bushfires, which has impacted a lot of the community. So um you know hearts hearts out to everyone out there who's been through uh, that experience. And like I think it's. Probably the first time it's impacted everyone. Uh, Daniel, I know you've probably seen a lot on the news, but even for people out here in, you know, in Melbourne where I'm based or in Sydney, it's just been covered in smoke for weeks. So even though you know you may not directly see the fires, the impact has been felt right across the country.
1: It's devastating. I mean, I can tell you here in Germany, we follow the media coverage very, very closely, um, and as you know, in in Europe and Germany in particular, climate change and all around climate change is a big, big topic here. Maybe a, a podcast for, for another day, but certainly a fascinating one.
0: Yeah, look, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people out there talking about climate change and uh, all sorts of um, environmental podcasts. I'll leave it to those experts and we'll try and focus on what we do best, Dan, which is uh, <laughs> of course call centers and uh, and customer experience. And um, today's topic, geez, i tell you what, there's, there's, there's things out there that confuse me in the world, Dan, and particularly in call centers, um, I think the one that often just takes the cake is this quality assurance. And, you know, when we monitor calls and we've got our little checklists and we tick them off and, um, you know, if there's one area that I think I see and hear that a lot of people struggle with, it's that whole QA process. Is that Mm -hmm. something you've seen as well?
1: I see it all the time and it fascinates me. I think in part because we've done so much Mystery Shopper over the years, when you do Mystery Shopper, at heart, what you're doing is evaluating the quality process. So you get a sense of how companies are approaching quality and what they look for in quality and, frankly, the process they have for setting up quality, which I think is the topic of our podcast today.
0: Yeah, look, it certainly is. Uh, you know, I, I got a, uh, and as you said, often the proof's in the pudding. And when you listen to Mystery Shopping, you'll soon know whether they've got a pretty robust program or not. And I think what I see when I go into call centers is, you know, the QA form, the monitoring form, is often like a bit of a checklist, you know. And you can listen to a call, and you look at the QA score, and they and they get like a really high score, they get 95, 100 percent. You go, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, that agent must be amazing, you know. And then, you, and then you listen to the call, and it's terrible. You know, the customer's sort of still a little bit confused, and the information didn't necessarily come across or there was no call control or, you know, the the, the agent jumped from you know, <laughs> section to section. You know, or you've heard it all. Um, but yet the score was fantastic. And you're like, how does this happen? Because Dan, I'm going to ask the question, you know, what is the purpose of quality assurance?
1: <laughs> well, look, I have to address that point first, which is we call it grade inflation. And it's one of my favorite parts <laughs> when I teach quality assurance. It's amazing that everybody in the call center is getting 90 plus percent scores, but then if you said to the manager, would you blindly take three or five calls that scored 88 and play them for your CEO without checking them first? And they say, never. And I said, but you just gave it an 88. That's Last right. Time it's I a checked, good score. Yeah. Chemistry, I got 88. I was already dancing on the ceiling. So what you have is a lot of great inflation uh, that comes from a few things. One is... The the reluctance of management sometimes to score agents low for fear of engagement in the relationship. Um, Another factor is, frankly, the design of the monitoring form. If everything you score is a yes, no, yes, no, one, zero, one, zero behavior, and your agent simply follows all those one, zero, one, zero behaviors, it becomes very, very easy to score very high. Yes, I said, Mr. Ord. Yes, I said, is there anything else I can do to help you? Yes, I did this. But as you know, a lot of the behaviors agents are supposed to to deliver aren't just yes, no behaviors, they require skill and practice and experience and coaching, one of our favorite words. So things like selling, things like calming people down, things like explaining complex products and services, things like uh, solving problems, This can't be measured on a one zero basis. And yet you'll see those monitoring forms you were talking about all one zero, one zero, one zero, one zero, which leads to a 95% score, which makes everybody happy except guess who? The uh, customer, the customer. Just to point it out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, Dan, if, if um because look honestly, um, just about every course I see, it seems to be structured this way. So, um I guess part of that is one of the reasons we're bringing you out to Australia this year, which is to actually do a course on how to design a quality assurance program for a contact center. Um, and so the whole purpose of really of today's podcast is to absolutely just plug the crap out of that course. I'm joking, of course. We uh, <laughs> <laughs> we want people to come to the course, but we are going to share some learnings with you. Don't worry. Um, you don't have to come to the course to get everything, but of course it'll help. Um, so... We really want to sort of start peeling away this whole QA process right from the top. And uh, I suppose there is, um, you know, as you actually rightly pointed, you know, the 88% um, uh, example, there's no way you'd put that call in front of the CEO. Um, And I guess with call centre managers, whether they've got five agents or 500 agents, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you want is that consistency of great service. That's what keeps you up at night. And your scores ideally should reflect that the agent actually did a great, you know, a great experience. And if you got 100, you would blindly just forward that onto the CEO and not even have to worry about listening to it because that means it would be a great score if we had a great QA process, yeah?
1: I think that is super well put. I couldn't say it better.
0: So... How do we get from, from where we are today to there, Dan? Because, you know, it seems to be a bit of a jump, I guess, for a lot of people. So what we want to do is today share with you today some of the steps that are involved in what is actually best practice QA.
1: Well, I, sure. Let's, let's jump right into it. I think a little historical context is always helpful. If you actually look up QA or quality assurance and the definition, it comes from the manufacturing industry. And the whole point of QA in the manufacturing industry is to reduce defects. So what always goes through my mind is, Uh, If you see those videos, I used to see them on National Geographic Channel or or public television of a BMW factory or a Mercedes factory, you know, with the, the robots going by and all the people wearing white lab coats and brushing their hand across the finish and making sure the windshield wipers aligned perfectly so that when it comes off the assembly line, it truly is a BMW or it truly is a Mercedes. That's where this quality assurance thing really came from, and it's about eliminating defects. So I think what happened is that concept really hit the contact center industry. I don't think for the better, by the way, because the moment you see quality assurance people sitting in a corner ticking boxes, What they're probably doing is looking more for defects, so it's about preventing problems. And there's nothing wrong with preventing problems, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I had a great cheeseburger yesterday. I went to a restaurant, I ordered a cheeseburger, the cheeseburger came, I loved it. At no point in my conversation with my partner did I say, I'm so glad they didn't screw up that cheeseburger. You know, I wasn't sitting there waiting for the defect. I was sitting there going, this is an awesome cheeseburger. They actually made it American style here in the heart of Germany. Ooh, I want to come back here. So, yeah, I get we all want to avoid problems, but if you build your entire QA process around eliminating defects, I think you're missing the entire purpose or value of what a quality assurance program can do.
0: Yeah, so you spoke about, um, you know, there is a bit of a process and I know in our course we're covering off six modules. So I think we'll use that obviously as a bit of a guide to today in terms of how how to actually go about it. So step one, Dan, is um, is really understanding a uh, performance culture. Can you talk us through, you know, what that actually means and the importance of it?
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day we're talking here a lot about what we would call human-assisted service, Justin. Quality standards also apply to non-human-assisted service, for example, chatbots. But let's put that whole chatbot thing to the side. We're talking about the folks that are doing the live chats and the social media posts and and the telephone calls, because every article I'm reading still says telephone is number one. So I think you and I have a similar experience in that don't think that the voice channel has disappeared. And when we're talking about working with human beings who we hope and want will deliver great quality to our customers, that involves appropriate performance management. We have to describe to them what great performance looks like. We have to help them reach those levels of great performance. We have to understand the barriers to reaching those levels of great performance. And frankly, we have to understand things like the impact of great inflation. You know, the thing we, we started off our discussion with, with, which is what kind of message are we sending to agents if every call they score is 92, and yet all they're doing is following a list of robotic compliance behaviors. There's not much growth or development. In there. So before I do any quality assurance class, we have to spend a short amount of time on what is a performance culture, where, how is engagement built, what is the role of development, because I think when you're talking about bringing an agent up to speed, Obviously, you've got all these systems and processes and products, but I think you and I are very focused on the communication aspects. How do they speak? How do they say? What do they say? Are they representing the brand? Would our CEO like this call? I guess if we had to bubble it down, maybe that will be our test phrase for today. Would our CEO like this call or not?
0: Yeah, brilliant. Like it nice and succinct and it's a good litmus test to ask, isn't it? Module two, um, deciding on what kind of service you plan to deliver.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, just I'll take one step back here and say, I'm so glad you're kind of stepping through some of these, these modules in the course because I think the quality assurance process is as robust and important to a contact center as what we would typically call the planning and management process. The planning and management process is where you do all your great forecasting and your Erlang C and your shrinkage and all that stuff we don't need to talk about today. But anybody in operations is going to tell you, Dan, I know I do this first, I do this second, I do this third, I do this fifth, and I do this because this process works. Well, I think we have to start looking at quality assurance in exactly the same way. It's a very robust process, and each step really matters. So you just asked me about step two. What kind of service are you going to offer? Here's the test question. If I went to your agent and said, hey, can you tell me what kind of service do you offer or deliver around here, would they be able to answer? And the example I always use in the course is... If you go to an ice cream store, you're going to have 89 flavors of ice cream, rum, raisin, and chuck with this, that, and strawberry this and that. And, and I think service is exactly the same thing. You're going to have 89 different flavors of service, and your agent should be able to describe, I work here at a government regulatory authority. The kind of service we deliver around here is blah, 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 blah. Whereas over here, I work in a mobile phone company. The kind of service we deliver around here is X. And yet I have not... Experienced once in my career yet, where an agent can accurately sum up what kind of service they deliver around here, and that's a bit sad. So this involves creating what's called a service delivery vision at a management level, and then delivering that through everybody that works with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, perfect. Love the uh, love the ice cream analogy. Anything that involves ice cream, I typically like down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it seems to work. I mean, it, it, we're yeah. I mean, really, we think many, many times about which flavor of ice cream we want, but we tend not to think so often about what kind of service we deliver. And I'm sorry, but saying the customer's name three times doesn't describe a style of service. It, it, it describes a very robotic behavior, which some centers are still following. No,
0: but it gets you a tick on the checklist, Dan.
1: That's it. You see, Can you see how this is all kind of self-fulfilling? So by the end, you can go to your bosses and say, well, we're scoring 95% quality. And most bosses don't have time to listen to calls anyway. So everybody's happy, I guess. And again, I'm not being critical here because, you know, I've lived it and breathed it myself, too. But ignorance can be bliss. If nobody's actually listening to the conversations or reading the live chat transcripts, you really have to wonder about the level of quality that's being delivered out there across all those hundreds of interactions. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So continue on to module um, two, Dan, and that deciding what kind of service you plan to deliver, what would you add to, to that?
1: I would add to that that once you come up with that statement and set of principles, then it becomes a lot easier to select what I call your performance standards for your monitoring form. So performance standards are things like your greeting and your empathy, your tone. But but I've spouted them off because I see so many forms, but the reality is coming up with the right ones, defining them, giving them a measure of weight. Do I measure this as a one zero? Do I measure this as a three, two, one? that takes a bit of effort because you want to make sure everybody in the center understands not only what are the performance standards but why did we select them how do they represent who we are i think there's a a very interesting art and science to coming up with performance standards and justin that kind of leads us directly into module three which is designing your quality assurance form because coming up with that form is also an art and a science because once you select all these standards, you have to decide, decide what are they gonna look like on the form? Am I gonna flow through this on a chronological basis? Am I gonna break down these performance standards into compliance and skills-based categories, for example? Which items should I weight more? Which items can I weight less? I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered before we start putting people in the corners to tick boxes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the exciting takeaways from this course for anyone who's um, going to do it is that you've got a, a workbook which, um, you know, is, you know, 30 odd pages uh, of some examples of, um, you know, what other businesses are doing. And that, that's a huge insight. And as you said, you ultimately got to pick what's right for your business. There is no one size fits all. But what a what a great head start.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you can talk about this stuff, but what people love in this course in particular is we have so many example templates. So while you can understand the concept, it's always helpful to have a template to take back to say this is what a a formal definitions document looks like. This is what a formal scoring document looks like. Here's seven different versions of a quality assurance form. Why don't I look at each of the seven and decide the pros and cons of each one so I can find the one that's right for me? Because as you know, Justin, sometimes the decisions you're making in contact centers aren't right or wrong decisions. Their pros and cons decisions so it's about finding what works best for you so yeah i love the templates and the templates help me too so
0: worth their weight in gold people if you're listening the weight <laughs> in gold <laughs> um all right so module four um is the uh so assuming we've, we've picked a form out there and um then we get into the, actually the monitoring of the quality dan who should be the ones monitoring the quality because i've gone to a lot of centers where it's actually the responsibility of the team leader to make sure they're recording five, five calls per agent per month and they on average have 15 agents in their team and that's you know doing the math very quickly. It's just a hell of a lot of work, which means what? They're not on the floor coaching and doing what we love our team leaders to do. So um, monitoring quality, what we need to know.
1: It is a big module in the course as you can imagine. And the first thing we talk about is the different forms of monitoring because you have side by side, you have silent monitoring, mystery shopper is a form of monitoring, you have call recording. You have We cover about five or six different methods and every method has its own pros and cons. So what you see most centers do is they pick three or four methods because when you use a combination of methods, you kind of even out the negatives of each of the individual methods it's a very fair decision to say who's going to do it. So who's going to do the mystery shopper? Who's going to do the side by side? Who's going to listen to the calls? And what I typically see is you have a QA responsibility and a team leader responsibility. Now I have to be a little bit careful here. If you're a big center, you probably have a dedicated QA function. You have people that are specialized in doing this. This is their entire job. If you're in a smaller center, you probably can't afford a dedicated QA. What that basically means is your team leader is wearing two hats. They're going to be a team leader and they're going to have to take on some QA responsibilities. They just can't do it at the same time.
0: But in the smaller centers, obviously, look in a perfect world, we'd have a separate QA team that do these and maybe the team leaders do one or two, but there's obviously a lot of smaller centers out there where often that's not possible. Um, and I guess it does lead us into that module five, which is the role of coaching because once someone has done the scoring, of course, at some point we've got to give that feedback to our agents. So I'd love to spend a bit of time talking about how you see that playing out.
1: Okay. And this, this probably is in my experience of running the course, when we reach this part, it's the biggest eye opener. So I guess I'm opening the Christmas present a little bit early here, but let me see if I can do this in a, in a summary format. What your QA folks or your QA function is really good at is being what I call the Supreme Court of Quality. Once they've got that monitoring form, yes, they listen to the call or read the live chat and they tick the boxes. Notice you and I are not anti-tick. We're kind of anti-tick for purposes of finding defects and using a form that's not been well-designed. But once the form is well-designed, QA should be doing the scoring. I look at it this way, if you enroll in a university course, the score is your final exam. You get a final exam, here's your grade, blah, blah, blah. I think the mistake that's being done out there is, People are using that form and thinking it's a coaching tool. So they think once I mark it as 88 or or 73 or 92, I can carry it over to the agent and use it as a coaching tool. But that's actually not true because a score doesn't improve performance. uh, Think about it back as a university exam. When you took that exam and the professor passed the paper back to you or the teacher pass the paper back to you, the teacher didn't lean over at your desk and say, now I'm going to coach you on your exam. No, the exam was representative of your performance at this point in time. So what happens with coaching is there's another form of coaching we call helping coaching, which is usually done by the team leader. And the team leader will listen to the call, and then they'll walk over to the agent and say, I'd like to help you. There's no form here. There's no score here. I may have a document you know, just to put down that we had this conversation, but here are the things I think you did really well in this call, and here's the one, two, or three things I think you can really improve. Once you take the score out of the picture, you'll find that the relationship between the person who's listening to the call and the agent will improve because when you score someone, you're judging someone. And that's why so many agents don't like this quote unquote QA or coaching process because they feel very scored. So I'm a big fan of Yes, you still need to score, maybe five a month. That seems to be the minimum. I've met some people doing up to 10 or 15 a month, but I agree that's very time consuming. But what you add to that five per month is I actually sit with my agent once a week. I actually sit with each agent twice a week and all I do is help them. And Justin, here's the concept. If I'm a team leader and I sit with each agent once or twice a week over the course of a month just to help them, to give them focused support here on where they can improve and what they're doing really well, later on when QA pulls that call for scoring, the theory would be the score will be better. Why will the score be better? Because this person's gotten help all along. So the score is reflective of the help that the agents received all along. It's not a coaching tool in and of itself. And I think people sometimes really sit back and say, gosh, Dan, you're right. Everything we do with an agent involves a score. No wonder they're so resistant to this process. And in a way that kind of links us back to the whole performance management discussion we had at the beginning of, the, of our talk today.
0: Yeah, and I think hopefully for the listeners out there that uh, the pennies just dropped um, for a couple of you, I hope. Um, and But it's just so common that you see it in all call centres, as you said. And I think if you can separate the scoring uh, and the judging um, from actually yeah. just trying to help someone, it'll make a huge cultural difference to your centre on top of performance improvements.
1: It's massive. And then next time someone says, how many calls do you do every month? I uh, The next question I always ask is, how many scoring and how many helping, because if you're doing five scoring, I have no issue with that. You'll never be statistically viable, but I also wanna hear you say, Dan, I'm doing anywhere from five, 10 to 15 helping conversations with my agent, because I know the real power in their performance comes from me helping them, and then the scoring simply reflects how good the helping is going. Versus I just send off a scorecard until the agent figure it out or or even worse, Justin, people that read the scorecard to the agent. If your scorecard is so well designed, why do you need to read it to an agent? They should be able to read it for themselves. So I think there's some very interesting human dynamics that, that take place here to improve quality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that leads us, I guess, it's a perfect segue into the last module um, that we'll cover in the course, which is uh, the role of service audit and voice of the customer. Um, ultimately, that's why we're doing this, right? We want to improve the experience for our customers. So talk to us a little bit about how that module six plays out.
1: Absolutely, I think what we slightly get into in module six is we shift our thinking a little bit into customer experience because One of the most important reasons for for focusing on quality in the first place is to deliver an appropriate customer experience. So how do we know it's actually working and where do we need to tweak? Because it could be certain performance standards you picked this year aren't really working or aren't really coming to life, so it's worth reviewing those. And so what we talk about in this section is we talk about the various forms of VOC. What do I do with social media commentary? What do I do with unsolicited comments coming in from customers? What do I do with solicited, for example, surveys or a solicited form of VOC? How do I use Mystery Shopper? So we look at a variety of VOC techniques. Now in many contact centers, the VOC doesn't necessarily live inside the center. It might live with your research department or if you're lucky enough your customer experience department, but I think as a contact center manager you want to be equipped and understand the pros and cons of these different VOC methods because a lot of times your, how you're evaluated is based on what customers are saying about your center. So that's what we talk about here and how to take that VOC and feed it back into the entire process to keep it moving. Because as we know, customers' expectations keep changing and, and most people will say go up over time. So I can't use a 2006 form of quality with a 2020 customer. It's just not going to work.
0: Love it. Continuous innovation never goes astray in the call centre world. So um, now I'm going to ask you one question. That's obviously the six modules that we've covered, but I guess just one thing for me that I, I know comes sure. up a lot that people get confused on, Dan, yes. is, um, is calibration. Um, you know, we yeah. spoke about scoring and, um, you know, what's the best scale. You know, some have the tick, some have one, two, three, or best, you know, good, better, best, or there's a whole bunch of different modules out there. But ultimately if you've got something where there is, an alternative answer as opposed to just yes or no, where there's some sort of scale, Um, then the question comes in, well, you know, how do you calibrate people so they're all scoring consistently? Could you just give us one tip? We don't wanna reveal all our secrets, but if you could give us one tip that we could share with our our listeners, Dan, it'd be great.
1: No problem at all, Justin. I think what you're talking about here is so valuable because when we look at performance standards, and I'll take this back to your performance standard selection, Some standards naturally lend themselves to black and white behaviors, one and zero behaviors. Did you give a greeting, yes or no? Did you say thank you at the end, yes or no? Um, Unfortunately, as we talked about a little bit earlier, that if you measure everything that way, your agents sound very robotic and a bit lifeless, and frankly, the job is just darn boring because you're just following tick boxes all the time. The behaviors today in customer experience and dealing with more complicated situations and more complicated customers is we need skills. And let's use tone of voice because that's probably the simplest one, although we could pick a lot of others. You would never score tone of voice as a one or a zero, but you also shouldn't score it as a one to ten or even a one to five. And I tell you why, because you're going to spend more time arguing about what's the difference between a five and a three or a nine and a six then you are actually improving the agent delivery which then improves the customer experience so what i've learned over the years especially with mystery shopper and working with big companies is a three-point scale seems to work really well so if i listen to a call here's what i'll say hi cindy i've listened to your call i thought your tone of voice was very good Now, in my example, very good means it's not excellent, but it's better than good. So my job as a coach is to move Cindy from very good up to excellent. And another example, maybe Cindy's tone of voice was only good. Now my job is to move her from good to very good and from very good to excellent. I think as a coach and as someone that cares a lot about quality, these Caliber behaviors, that's what I call them, bring a lot more to the customer conversation than these compliance behaviors. As a matter of fact, at the end of the call, when you do a survey, no customer is going to say, I didn't like the way she did her greeting. They're just not going to say that. But they are going to say things like, I really liked her patience. I thought she was explained it very well and what they're talking about here are behaviors that don't easily lend themselves to this simple 10 uh measurement system but again you don't want to go to this 1 to 10 because that's madness and you'll lose yourself in all the administration which kind of defeats the entire purpose
0: yeah, well, I look forward to um, unpacking how we actually, uh, what the process is behind calibration. I think uh, people will be interested in that as well. Daniel, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience again today. It's always a fascinating insight, and your stories, as per usual, are always a very, a very entertaining.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, this is our style, Justin, because I look at it this way. The work is hard enough. I mean, we can take the work seriously but not take ourselves so seriously sometimes, and I guess – for me, it's about living and breathing that. But thanks. you. It's always fun to chat with you.
0: Awesome, mate. Now, if you are listening, the course is coming up in April this year, the 2020. So on April 20 and 21, it's going to be in Melbourne. Dan's down in Melbourne running a few courses. Uh, this is the first time we've brought this one to um, to Australia. And the reason is I just think there's a huge need out there from everyone that I've talked to in contact center land. And uh, I think you're going to get an enormous amount of value uh, out of sitting in the course for a couple of days. And of course, getting that um, <laughs> the hand on those templates as well, which I think everyone will find uh, is a very useful weapon. Daniel, always lovely to talk. Cannot wait for our next conversation where I think we were just talking earlier. We might uh, tackle um, things about customer experience and just where it's actually heading in 2020.
1: I think we've got some good podcasts coming up this year. And I look forward to meeting everyone in April.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you on the next CX Hustle podcast. Bye for now.